Hello and welcome to Dimensions of Imagination, the podcast where we talk about anthology TV, such as The Twilight Zone and many more shows. I'm Joey and with me is Jackie. Hello. This is episode three of our show and uh, this week we're covering, still covering some of the old school uh, Twilight Zone episodes. But uh, before we get started, we got a little housekeeping from last week that Jackie wanted to go over. In true Jackie fashion, I have already messed up one of my trivia facts for the show. This will not be the first. It is the first, but will not be the last time. The director for last week's episode, One for the Angels, is not, in fact, Ida Lupino, but it is Robert Parrish. I messed up my notes. Um, So, sorry, Mr. Parrish, and sorry to our listeners, because there's so many of you out there. Yeah, these things are going to happen. Um, but it's not that big of a deal. You, you, yeah. We, we pointed it out. We'll try to be more accurate next time. Um, so this week we are talking about um, what episode from the original Twilight Zone? We are Jackie? doing The Masks, which is a fifth season episode. So we have jumped from the first season to the last season. Um, this episode was originally aired on March 20th, 1964. Written again by Rod Serling. So all three of our episodes have been written by Rod himself. Right. Um, The director of this one is, in fact, Ida Lupino. She is the only woman to direct a Twilight Zone episode, which is a really big deal. Especially for the time period. I'm Mm -hmm. sure it was. Uh, Do you know if she's gone on to do anything else in her career? I can look it up. Oh, we'll, we'll, have to, we'll have to get back <laughs> um, to you on that. Yeah, but she is also, fun fact, the only person to star in one episode. She starred in the episode, The 16 Millimeter Shrine, and oh. direct another episode. So she's the only person who's ever starred in one and directed another. I didn't know that. That's so she has a, a plethora of things that she is known for in yeah. the uh twilight she, zone she, universe she that 16 millimeter shrine one is the one that's kind of based like on uh sunset boulevard the mm. movie she plays the um i guess the title character in that um is that the one with I the think. the woman in it and the screen projector yeah yeah and she but it's it's kind of inspired by yeah it's sunset very much boulevard like of like this woman recounting her career as she's in her like later years um, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, so she wasn't, Ida was an actress, a director and a writer. Interestingly enough. Um, it looks like she starred in like a hundred she's listed as a, in 105 different things hmm. on, um, IMDb as far as directing. Um, I have to get back to you on that. Yeah. So just to refresh you again, uh, we're, we're not doing the Twilight Zone or any of these series that we're doing. We're not doing them in order because they don't need to be watched in order. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of just going based on, you know, what we want to cover and some of the episodes we haven't seen before or some of our favorite episodes. So this one in particular was one that I picked because it's one of my favorite episodes. It's probably my top five um, favorite Twilight Zone episodes. Um, it is The Masks. And it is uh, set in New Orleans in um, Mardi Gras during Mardi Gras. Um, it's it, it just, I guess, just a recap of the episode. In, well, we uh, haven't. Sorry, what? We haven't talked about the characters, the actors yet. Oh yeah, yeah. You do that first. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> right. We're still getting the hang of this. Yeah, I've never done this before, so it's usually my well, fault. Well, you, you've done it two other times. <laughs> uh, yeah, go over the actors yeah. that are in this, and then we'll um, go through the the recap. So we have um, the main character, Jason Foster, is played by Robert Keith. 
And um, this one was really exciting for me. He is um, known for his role in the musical Guys and Dolls, the, the film version, Frank Sinatra. Um, and he plays Lieutenant Brannigan, who is a who's a pretty big character. Um, he's notable in it, so you mm-hmm. he's seen on screen a lot. He recognized him. And um, this was actually the last acting role that he had before he died. Oh, really? So he passed away, I think this was in March, and I think he passed away later that year. Um, then we have, so Jason Foster is a patriarch of the family. Right, he's the main character. And he um, is... It's, it's his house that we're that the whole episode takes place And in. he is on his death deathbed basically (laughs) and so we see um his it's his daughter right his daughter his daughter and her husband um and and then their kids their two children and then there's also um the maid and the butler and and those are our our big cast um the person who plays Milton, who I can't, I'm, can you pause it? Yeah, sure. I can't remember who these people are. Okay, here we okay. go. So All we right. have Milton Seltzer, who is who plays Wilfred Harper, and Wilfred, good old Wilfred, what a great name, is the son-in-law of Mr. Foster. He is most notable, mo, mo, most notable for mobster crime and crook movies from the 1960s and 70s. Um, so he is in there. He, how would you describe him, Joey? Uh, droll, I guess. Like very like serious and doesn't want to participate mm-hmm. in these shenanigans that uh, the Jason has wants to to put them through. And then we have um, Virginia Gregg, who is playing Emily Harper, who is Jason's daughter and the wife of Wilfred. Um, this is super super exciting, but for me, who is a great um, Alfred Hitchcock fan. Um, she's actually the voice of Norma Bates in Psycho 1, 2, and 3. She's just not credited. So she is the voice when they do the voiceovers of the mom. Oh, she is wow, Norman okay. Bates' mom. Okay. Wow, she, but she's not credited in them. Hmm. But, I wonder why she wasn't credited. That's um, and she is a piece of work, this yeah, woman. She's chewing she's up the a, scenery in this. She's this uh, sort of uh, nasty daughter of, of Jason. She wants clearly wants all attention on her. Oh, woe yeah. is me attitude. Then we have uh, their children, played by Brooke Hayward, who's playing Paula Harper. Interesting fact about her, she was married to Dennis Hopper at one point. Oh, wow. That's all the only thing interesting I can point out about her. And the son, Wilfred Harper Jr., is played by Alan Suez. Suez? Seuss? Hmm. Um, And he's basically known for his campy portrayal of Peter Pan on a peanut butter commercial. (laughs) So we have a wide range of art acting abilities. Um... The doctor who play is in the scenery a bit um, was played by Willis Boucher, and he's a pretty known character actor. He played in many John Ford and James Stewart movies. I didn't recognize him, but he was pretty notable in those. And then we have um, the butler, play Jeffrey, played by Bill Walker, and he was married to the original R gang leading lady, Peggy Cartwright, and they had one of oh. the early interracial marriages in Hollywood. 
Interesting. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then the maid, who doesn't have a name, is played by Maddie or Mady Norman. And she was pretty amazing reading her biography. She was um, a founding member of the American Negro Theater West. Um, she was inducted in 1977 into the Black Filmmakers Hall of Fame. And they actually have an award in her name presented each year for outstanding research by an undergraduate in black theater at UCLA. Wow. So um, she was pretty notable. And it's oh, interesting because in, in here she's just yeah. um, named the maid. So we have a, a much bigger cast than we have really in any of the episodes that we've covered so far. So we've gone from um, episode one where we had a cast member of one basically Two, about three main characters in mm -hmm. um, one for the angels, and now we have um, more a much bigger yeah cast, more of an ensemble cast. Mm -hmm. um, all right, so you're ready for me to get into the recap now? Yeah. Obviously, we don't spend too much time on the recap because we hope you've watched the episode. But um, this all takes place in Jason's house, and Jason is on his deathbed. We uh, hear from his doctor, and he has some pretty great lines with the doctor. He's uh, Jason's, a, I guess, a firecracker of an old man. He he doesn't take shit from anybody. It doesn't seem like, and he um, he just kind of you know gives as good as he gets, I guess. Um, so he talks to his doctor. The doctor says he had he could go at any time. Uh, it's clear that his family's coming to town and his the, his daughter and, and the, her family are coming to town because they want his money. He's obviously rich and he has this big, beautiful house. Um, and he has set up a special surprise for them mm -hmm. uh, to do with Mardi Gras. Um, he said when they get there, there's some pretty sna more snappy lines between him as he kind of uh, dunks on all of his uh, these these family members for how nasty they can be. Um, but then he he talks about they're going to have this this Mardi Gras party, and he has prepared these masks. And he said an uh, an old Cajun made the masks for him. So we're led to believe there's something magical about these masks, but we don't know yet. Um, the reason I really like this episode is it does have a pretty good twist ending to it. Like I didn't expect it the first time I watched it. Did you expect it to turn out the way? Um, no. Did? Well, maybe I we kind can get of, into it. In a minute. Yeah, I'll, I'll cover the recap and then we'll get into that. So. They, they have this smart girl party and he, the stipulation for them inheriting this money is they have to put these masks on until midnight. Okay. And they're so spoiled. Like the, the, the granddaughter does, it just does not want to put the mask on and the masks are pretty grotesque, but Jason tells them it's supposed to be a reflection of what they're not. So they're not ugly. They're not nasty or greedy. And these masks are mm -hmm. supposed to represent these things. But um, in all actuality, they are all of the things. Yes, the, so. it is exactly a mirror of what they are. And we figure this out as we get to know them during this. And the big twist at the end is once they've put these masks on uh, after midnight, they take the masks off and their faces are horribly distorted into the shapes of these uh, masks. Um, and so they are forever, we we figure they are forever changed and forever marked by their mm -hmm. greediness and their their hatefulness. Um, and their, their faces are just, you know, these horrific, um, versions of themselves yeah. and, and, and or Jason. more of an external, um, 
portrayal the of what self, they what are, they are. Yeah. In, in inside it's their a character reflection traits. reflection of who they are. And Jason's mask is of, the, of death, and he dies at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. So he's got, and kind of got the last laugh. Like, they've inherited all this money, but they're completely uh, transformed and, and dis, you know, These hideous people. By this. Yeah. Um, so did you expect the twist at the end? Or? Well, I didn't expect... I kind of thought maybe that they were going to ha- like the masks were going to be stuck on their face and they couldn't get it off. Right. Which is kind, is of, kind what of what happens. Um, it, yeah, I. It, this was the first time I'd ever watched this particular episode, mm-hmm. and so um, obviously I didn't know what happened. That's why I wanted you to see what your reaction was. Yeah, I watched this one a bunch. It was of times. very like interesting. I have never. This is like one of the few episodes where I hate every single person in the cast. Like in a short 30 minutes, you just cannot stand these people. Well, I, I actually kind of like Jason. Um, yeah. As the yeah. matriarch. I mean, he, he's. Of course you do, because you want you want to be exactly like that when you're old. <laughs> he's kind of a, a jerk. You he's know, quite but, ornery. But he, he, he he's just hit the point where he just doesn't care anymore. And he's going to say what he's going to say. And he's got this plan worked out. Um, I guess if you look at it through your microscope, it's pretty nasty of him to devise this mm-hmm. plan, but it's for nasty people. So I think um, it's it's quite a trope in like short stories and anthology series to have this old dying man mm-hmm. who kind of rigs the system of his will. Yeah, and, I mean that goes back yeah. to Charles Dickens and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, like classic literature too. Mm-hmm. It's just it is a trope of, of storytelling. Um, I think that like the biggest thing for me is the performance of who is Jason played by again? That would be Robert Keith. So Robert Keith's performance as Jason, this matriarch of the family, uh, a patriarch of the family. Patriarch. Yeah. Saying matriarch, patriarch of the family. Um, he, he's just great in that role. Yeah. You just believe him amazing. as this kind of like over it old man. Um, and he's got this look about him that's almost skeletal anyway. So mm-hmm. like putting the mask on makes it, it, it you believe that he's this is his last rite or whatever. Um, yeah, I um, I did mark an, a specific quote between Jason and the doctor, and the doctor tells Jason at the beginning that he can measure his life in moments. So instead of telling him he has like six months to live, yeah. he's literally telling him you could die at any moment. And I thought that that was like a very poetic way to say that yeah. but also super terrifying yeah. like literally it it's beautiful in the way it's well jason says laid he, out but jason says he appreciates his candor He's yeah like you're not very good with bedside manner but i appreciate your candor mm-hmm. um they have some really great like witty banter back and forth mm-hmm. they're very eloquent in the way they talk to each other which is a little bit different than how he talks to his family because they're kind of dull and yeah not the smartest people in the world i guess so. i think from the three episodes that we've seen, the dialogue has gotten progressively better. I mean, obviously, in the first episode, the, it's a monologue the whole time. And so... Right. Well, this, but is, then, this is full... Rod Serling and his full mm-hmm. powers, you know, like having done all this this work on these dialogues. Cause yeah. It is interesting to point out that like before... So pre-Twilight Zone, most of Serling's work was in these live playhouse productions mm-hmm. where it was a tv show but it was actually a play performed a lot of them aren't even on aren't even recorded any or they oh, weren't wow. recorded they were just broadcast and not mm-hmm. kept you know but they were hmm. done live and so i imagine the early episodes of the twilight zone and i haven't really paid full attention to that probably have more of that um play style dialogue mm-hmm. and then as he gets more into actual like tv as a medium 
it becomes a little more like mm-hmm. what we have would have more modernized today as far as the dialogue but um, that's just me kind of yeah talking out the side of my neck or whatever well but. i mean you did mention in the last episode uh that you felt it was very much like a stage play and now mm-hmm. this one yeah. is definitely feels more like a, a film mm-hmm. type of thing. Yeah. Um, I did note that it is another Make It to Midnight episode. Yeah. So that's the caveat is that they have to wear yeah. these masks until midnight and then um, then they can take them off and they'll get the money and have everything they want. In um, the last episode that we watched, they, they had to get to midnight so the little girl could survive. Mm-hmm. So it yeah, seems to be a... I'm not sure how many episodes will have that uh, dire strait of yeah. midnight, but um, I thought that was interesting comparison. Also, uh, Serling is in the opening narration. Yeah, he is. Which we hadn't seen in the first two episodes, and we're not really sure when he starts. Um, but man, he annoyed me because his tie was crooked. <laughs> the whole scene, it was crooked. And that's all I, I couldn't even pay well, attention to what he was that's saying. Not that's not his fault. So somebody should have caught that. But yeah, yeah. It's, it was good to see him on screen. And- I did note, though, he uh, he called, he didn't call um, the old man old. He called him an ancient. And I was like, yeah. what a cool, I want to, I want an people ancient. to call me an ancient when I'm old. Like, yeah. you're not just like old. You're an, like, an you ancient. have, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was interesting. I'd like to hear your thoughts on the characters a little bit more in depth. Um, yeah, I think that like they're, they're definitely characters, but you only have so much time. These episodes are short, so you have to get to the point. Like we don't have a lot of, uh, we don't have a lot of character development to, to slowly reveal that his Mm -hmm. daughter is a nasty, horrible person. She just comes in chewing up the scenery and being nasty and horrible. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, so they are very kind of stereotypes, I guess, of, uh, you know, what you would think of, of mm-hmm. these characters. of uh, Right. And they come out, they come out the gate awful, which yeah. that, like you're saying, they have to, um, but they, you know, and they're a bit over the top in their portrayal of mm-hmm. these things. Like uh, Paula is the most vain person and all she does the whole time is look in the mirror. Which now she would be on her cell phone the whole time. Yeah. So and, it's kind of like, kind of funny to point that out. Um, Emily is like the hypochondriac who acts like she's more on death's door than this father of hers who is dying. Mm-hmm. Um, she clearly needs the attention on her and Wilfred, the scene, Wilfred senior is like this businessman who I don't think is actually very successful, but he likes to talk a good game and he's just kind of like a dandy. He wants to be mm-hmm. like, Oh, proper and prim and this and that. And yeah. He's, and then he's, Wilfred junior is just a waste of space. He's just kind of like, it's, it's insinuated that he's like perhaps a, a sociopath cause mm-hmm. that he tortures young, small animals and things like that. Um, and he, he just, he's just unpleasant. Um, yeah, all and then just... we have the, the the maid and and the butler are delightful people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish they had kind of featured them more. Um, yeah, they weren't in there much, yeah, but, but I did enjoy. It. They were in the very first scene and the very last scene. Yeah, so. it, and it, and I I would like to point out with the maid and the butler, it is a little bit. It felt a little problematic just because like they're the only mm-hmm. um, non-white characters in the show in this episode, and they're the servants. So. Mm-hmm. There is, but that's a product of the times, but it is a little icky to look at now because it's mm-hmm. like, oh man, like, which I, I don't think there was any harm met by it, but it's just sort of the, the yeah. it, perhaps it was the only roles they were able to get right then. Mm-hmm. But, um, and the Twilight Zone is very progressive in its portrayal of, of, 
race and things, you know, of that nature. But obviously there was just a limit to the casting choices that could be done or whatever. Um, I thought it would be, have been interesting to like meet this Cajun fellow who made the masks. Like I wanted to see like a voodoo guy. Um, I just love like the, I love movies about new Orleans and, um, like our, one of our favorite, um, Seasons of American Horror Story, another anthology series, kind of, is the season that's set in New Orleans. And Mm -hmm. um, to never have been there, I have this huge fascination with it. And It's a a great um, location for the... And we don't see the city, but we see... It is this beautiful old mansion mm -hmm. um, that you can... It's it's probably in Hollywood somewhere, but it's beautiful um, and and could be believable as Mm -hmm. as a New Orleans house. Um, uh, I also want to say that the, um, I think that the, the camera work and the editing in this is a lot more advanced than the first two episodes we watched. So there's some really, I mean, the Twilight Zone has, they're like little films, each of these episodes, but some of them just, the camera work is spectacular. Mm-hmm. This one wasn't super notable for that, but it was, I noticed that it was like a little more, mm-hmm. it had a little more character to it, I guess, than the first two episodes we watched. Um, I feel like the. More so the second episode, because the first episode does follow him about the town, but mm-hmm. in yeah. uh, One for the Angels, we have, it's basically just one, like, straight on shot. Straight camera angle. Straight camera with, angle. Yeah. You don't move around the apartment. You don't mm-hmm. move around the street. Um, in this one, you kind of pan back and forth between people. You follow some of the characters mm-hmm. around a little bit, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so do, do, is there anything else you want to cover about the characters or anything? Um, well, I did, I and I know I don't think that you have seen this, but this episode felt so much to me like um, the Vincent Price movie, The Mask of the Red Death. Yeah, I haven't watched that. It, like, just the, um, I don't know if that one, I'm sure that one probably came first, and this might have been inspired by it, but just the overall feel, because in that movie, Vincent Price um, holds a party, and all these people are dressed up in these costumes and the mask, the like masks the, are the similar kind of masks, the, um, yeah. particularly like the skull mask, right? Yeah, and it it just felt it just reminded me so much of a Vincent Price movie, and I love Vincent Price yeah. movies, and so I that's I think that's why I enjoyed this episode a great deal is because it had that feeling. It was in New Orleans. Um, it it reminds I can see I can picture some modern day movies in my mind that it kind of probably had some influence on such as the skeleton key mm-hmm. and um, uh, just like that kind of genre in general. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I also, I don't, and it, this is probably, I mean, there's Joey and I, for those of you who don't know are um, nine, 10 ish years apart. So he, um, we grew up in different time periods and oftentimes things that I find endearing or that were um, pivotal things in my childhood are things that he can't relate to because they weren't big when, you know, he was older then. Mm-hmm. Vice versa, I wasn't even born for his childhood. Um, and so I I also immediately thought of there's a Goosebumps book and, epi- and then Goosebumps made a TV show about um, this creepy Halloween mask. And when the girl puts it on, she becomes this creepy um, being. And then when she takes it off, she's fine. But, like, when she puts it on, it kind of encompasses her soul and this 
demon comes out. So I don't even remember the name of the book or the movie, but uh, the yeah. show. But yeah, so those were just my other... Um, Goosebumps a little, a little younger than my Yeah, time. but it, those are just things that like I definitely could um, see the connection between or felt the connection between those things from that I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Or do yeah, enjoy. I mean, the Twilight and, Zone, so many episodes influence so many other things. And, like, this isn't one of the episodes. I don't think a lot of people who casually know the Twilight Zone would even know this episode. Yeah, I, I had never but, heard of it before um, you said you wanted to watch it. So I, I just think it's one of the, the more unique ones. And I like the stream, how streamlined the story is. And a mm-hmm. uh, great art design on the masks, too. They also have, like, a... So um, creepy. They're, yeah, they're really creepy. But they also look similar to... You can tell that whoever made the masks they did masks of their mm-hmm. face and then they twisted it a little bit because it does look like the actors uh, mm-hmm. faces um, just monstrous. Yeah. So speaking of that, um, the man who designed and crafted them was named William Tuttle. Okay. And I got this information. Um, I'm glad you found this. I, I, well, it's from our uh, twilight zone companion book by Mark Scott. Zikree. It's the second edition. Um, but I think we mentioned in the first episode that we're kind of looking things up in that book as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did say that they were designed by William Tuttle and they were crafted by Tuttle and Charles Schramm. And the quote from the Twilight Zone companion is that they were works of art, grotesqueries, which is a wonderful word, yeah. uh, which reflect the cruelty, ignorance, vanity, and avariciousness described in the characters. And best of all, they bear enough resemblance to the actors' faces to seem like hideous, degenerate alter selves. That's great. That's, yeah, that's I mean, it's like exactly. A, um, I like the sound they make when he picks them up too. It has a distinct like mm-hmm. weight. You can tell it's like a. It was it, the masks are not some thin plastic thing. They could have easily bought some kind of store bought mm-hmm. mask for this and cheaped out on it. But yeah, it definitely looked. They're yeah, definitely. They're, I wonder if they still exist. Obviously, handcrafted. Or someone them, or if they're in a museum or something. Yeah, or I'm not knows. sure. Um, yeah. Do you have any other notes or trivia for the episode? No, there was. That was really all that there was. I looked. I scoured the internet for more. It was more about picking out and finding out the little tidbits about the actors and actresses, um, but. Those masks would be really awesome to own. Yeah, they would. I, I'm <laughs> sure someone's made a replica of them. There are some Twilight Zone mm-hmm. uh, props and things you can buy. Um, yeah, I think I just I really like this episode because I, I, I relate to Jason telling people how they feel, <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like I'm gonna get that way when I get older. That's and just, your like, dream. Take the blinders off and just <laughs> yeah, just it's... say whatever I want. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It, it's just it's a great episode. I love it. <laughs> I, do we have show notes yet? Could we put a picture of the masks in show notes? Yeah, we can put them in the show notes. Yeah, yeah that'd be really cool. I, I think it would be, if you didn't watch the episode for whatever reason and don't know what they look like, you've got to see them because yeah, they're, really, they're really, really awesome. Cool. All right. Um, well, do you have, uh, do you want to go for a rating for this yeah, one? We're so doing a one to 10 scale. We are. And uh, our last episode was a what? You were an eight and I was. I, I was an seven, eight and you were a seven. seven I think, yeah. Um, I'm going to go with like, I think a seven for this one. Okay. As one, I, I think maybe if I viewed it more and more, like I had with one for the angels, mm-hmm. it might score higher, but just on a first viewing, I, I think it was, it was interesting. It evoked connections to other things that I love. Um, and 
Great acting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, really good acting. Um, I've got to give it, I mean, this is one of my favorite episodes. It's a, it's close to a 10. I'm going to give it a 9 because I don't know where to, we're mm-hmm. still kind of calibrating the scale. I know that like the the classic all time episodes are going to get tens probably this one's a, this one's probably a nine for me. Um, I think yeah, it's just I really solid. So I really like it. It's definitely going to um, be on our marathon for New Year's Day. Now yeah. I I think it's one that I will like to revisit and watch again mm-hmm. and again. It's very rewatchable, um, mostly for the performances. Mm-hmm. So. Cool. Well, do you have anything else to add? I don't. I'm just. I was impressed that. This was a female-directed yeah, episode, and it's yeah. done super well. Uh, so, and I, I um, yeah, I just really enjoyed it. Yeah, it I'm glad good. you like this one. Um, so to wrap up, next week we are going to talk about uh, which episode is it? That we're we are on. Week? We're doing the Fugitive, which is season three, episode twenty-five. Another okay. one I have never seen, but I think you probably have. Um, Yes, I have, but it's been a long time. I actually don't remember the whole plot line of that. Um, I found it. I love lists. I love to look up lists of things, and it was one of the episodes. I'm like, it, the top list of Twilight Zone, Twilight Zone episodes you have to watch. And yeah. so, um, it's a solid one. Um, yeah, so we're we're looking, and that one's written by Charles Beaumont, so who uh, is one of the other prolific writers of the series. Yeah, so we're finally getting one that's not written that's by not Sterling. Yeah, so you can find us online at dimensions of or doipodcast.com, right? And you can email us at dimensions of imagination at gmail.com. Yep. And you can find us on Spotify and I believe we're on Apple and everywhere else where you can find podcasts. Uh, if there is a place to leave a review and you want to leave us a review, uh, please do that. It would help us out. And um, yeah, we're going to keep working on this thing and we'll be back. Yeah, next we're going to do uh, this. will be our last Twilight Zone episode for a bit. And we're going to switch to another anthology. Next week's will. The Next fu- week's the will. will. Yeah. And then we're going to switch to something else. We're going to switch to something else for, else for, for a, a little bit. But um, yeah, send us your thoughts and feelings. Emails are great. If you have episodes or anthology series you want to recommend to us, um, send those our way as well. Yeah, we haven't decided what anthology series we're going to watch next so um, or watch episodes from next. Um, so if you have any you want to recommend, you can, you can hit us up at that Gmail address, dimensionsofimagination at gmail.com. And uh, I guess that's it for us. We're out. Adios. Thanks. Thanks.